Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. I hope you had a great weekend. I I don't know about you, but I really, really needed this weekend. Take two days, unplug, unwind, and and like especially this weekend when all the news is bad, and the news has been really bad between baseball and it got worse about an hour ago. We'll talk about that coming up in a minute or two. The NBA news took a dive for the worse on Friday. Coronavirus is now a very real thing in lacrosse and is getting worse. And Trump, like, Trump, I guess there's a debate going on with a ramp after he made a speech. Like, did he did he almost fall? Did he not? And, and that became a thing. I'm like, I'm just sick of the news. So it was really nice this weekend to be able to unplug, unwind. I hope you did the same, and I hope you're feeling ready to tackle another week in 2020. My name is Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show, and I'm, and I'm glad you've tuned in. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. We're going to talk about baseball, but not the horrible, miserable state of current Major League Baseball. I actually want to talk about the 90s because last night ESPN debuted um, Long Gone Summer. It was a documentary that covered the home run chase between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire in 98. And I want to talk about that and I want to talk about how baseball used to be in the 90s and then in the early 2000s. And I'd love to hear from you because I was born in 98. So when that home run chase was going on, I was, you know, four, five, six months old. So I wasn't alive to experience that, but just seeing some of the footage and and reading about it, it looks absolutely wild, and it looked like it was an experience unlike anything else. So we'll talk about that. I also want to talk about college sports and some interesting developments that happened over the weekend, but I guess guess let's let's start with this. I I want to talk a little bit about the NBA, a little about MLB, a little bit about NFL. I, I, I kind of want to cover everything. Let's go back to Friday. Before we start today, let's go back to Friday's show, and if you remember... Right before the show started and into Friday evening, the news surrounding the NBA got really, really hairy. It got really, really concerning because Kyrie Irving was out making statements saying, hey, I'll throw my career under the bus for social justice. We should not play basketball. And NBA fans are like, Kyrie, that's okay. no, it's okay. You don't, somebody can do that, but we don't want it to be you. Like, just be quiet and go away because nobody really likes Kyrie Irving. And on Friday, I was scared because it felt like for a moment, maybe we got out over our skis and we celebrated too early. Because maybe the NBA players aren't willing to come back. And maybe that first agreement, like the first agreement for Major League Baseball, there were some questions that still remained. And maybe that agreement was built on sand. Now, over the weekend, it looks like it may have improved a little bit. Like maybe NBA is in a little bit better shape. But on Friday, I mean, it was scary. It was freaky because I'm reading and I'm trying to get the information about Kyrie and the current state of the NBA and the return. And I'm reading Adrian Wojnarowski, who wrote a scorched, earth piece on Friday targeting Kyrie Irving saying hey in the first round of negotiations Kyrie was a a, a factor in this process but he was asking if he could use a sauna if he could rehab if he could watch from the stands if they'd have a certain beverage available for him like Adrian like Adrian Wojnarowski was taking shots at Kyrie Irving and to me that felt really hairy as much as I hate Kyrie it felt really hairy because Woj works for Disney he works for ESPN which is under the Disney umbrella and Disney stands to gain a lot from the return of the NBA. So on Friday, I'm like, I'm done. I'm putting my phone away for the weekend, and I'm done. And I came back today just a little bit more ready to attack things. And now baseball's got some bad news, but it looks like the NBA is is in a better place now. Now that we know a little bit more, and there was more that was reported over the weekend and today, 
What happened Friday? The news about Kyrie Irving and possible hesitance from players to return. It seems more like a small bump in the road than an actual roadblock to a return of the NBA playoffs. Now, Woj reported earlier today that players, with their help of of Michelle Roberts, are planning to use their platform and influence in trying to figure out a constructive way to continue the social justice movement, even with the return of the NBA, which is what I said on Friday, but whatever. It took the NBA players a couple days to come around. And like I said on Friday, I used the example of Tommy uh, Smith and John Carlos in 1968 in the Olympics with the black power fist in the air. I use that as an example. I say, hey, we remember that. The NBA players could do something very, very similar. And according to Woj's reporting, Michelle Roberts used the same example. And Michelle Roberts astutely pointed out that Tommy Smith and John Carlos were really into social justice. They were about it. But they also realized that to gain the platform necessary for their movement, they had to compete. And they had to compete at a high level because they wanted to get on the podium to put their fist in the air. And Michelle Roberts reportedly shared that same message and that same sentiment with her players. Like, look, you have this platform that's available to you, but you got to play. You got to show up if you want to use that platform. And it sounds like, yeah, there's a couple of at-risk players who are hesitant. And there's some questions that need to be answered. There's some concerns. But it's a small group, and they're working through it, and it doesn't seem like the season is in jeopardy. The quote from Michelle Roberts directly, that's what they're talking about. They're not fighting about it. They're talking about it. So I think the NBA is trying to reach a conclusion, trying to reach a consensus to bring back the NBA playoffs while also continuing this movement of social justice, which is whatever. I've said that on Friday. You could hire me anytime, NBA, but, but it's fine. We'll give you a couple days to come around. Now, no matter where the NBA goes in the next couple of weeks, Friday and this weekend made something really, really clear to me. And it, and it worries me. This weekend, Friday and, and moving forward with the NBA, reminded me what a delicate situation this is. Not just the NBA, but NFL and MLB, as MLB's season looks even more in jeopardy today than it did a couple of days ago, which I feel like we've been saying that for weeks. But the last three days have reminded me exactly how delicate of a situation American sports currently sits in. It's like a juggler on a tightrope. Like, yeah, we might be able to make it work, but one little thing goes wrong and it all comes crashing down. Now, Major League Baseball had appeared to beat players into submission. Players were basically just waving the white flag and say, hey, you're going to impose the season on us no matter what we do. So just tell us when and where and we'll be there. And then today, Rob Manfred comes out and says, well, actually, I'm not so sure. We got There's some legal issues, and I, I'm not 100% sure there's a season. And I'm not even going to talk about it today because I'm so sick of Rob Manfred coming on TV and, and acting like he has no clue what's going on. Well, I'm not quite sure. Shut up. You absolutely know what's going on. You're not an idiot. You're commissioner of one of the biggest sports leagues on the globe. You're not an idiot. You know exactly what's going on. So don't lie to us. Don't lie to your players. Don't lie to the owners. Just tell us what's going on. And if you don't have a season for us and you don't have anything constructive to say, then go the hell away. Let's get off the TV. I'm not going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about 1998. We're going to talk about the home run chase because I don't give a damn what Rob Manfred has to say anymore. I'm exhausted. It's Monday at 515. I've been on the air for 10 minutes so far this week, and I'm already exhausted by it. But on Friday and, and earlier last week, it was announced that a player and a coach in Major League Baseball had tested positive. So even if By some act of God, Rob Manfred and the owners and the Players Association come to an agreement. Man, just a couple players get sick and everybody starts to doubt it and it all comes crashing down. It's like a juggler on a tightrope. It's such a delicate situation. Now, it might not take coronavirus to cancel Major League Baseball season. Rob Manfred seems to have his his sights already set on that. Coronavirus just might end up being the last nail in the coffin. 
I think the NFL season is a lot more precariously set up than I did weeks ago. For the first time in a while, I'm starting to doubt whether or not we'll actually have an NFL season. And I have no doubt that Roger Goodell and the leadership of the NFL will do everything in their power to make it happen because that's what they do. Much more so than Adam Silver and definitely more than Rob Manfred. They're going to try to make it happen. But Ezekiel Elliott tested positive. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's one star player. One star player gets tested and everybody gets concerned and then another and then another. And now all of a sudden the season is spiraling out of control. John Harbaugh spoke out, when, when was this released? On the 11th. So it would have been late last week and we didn't have a chance to talk about it. But here's his quote. I've seen all the memos and to be quite honest with you, it's impossible what they're asking us to do. Humanly impossible. So we're going to do everything we can do. We're going to have space. We're going to have masks. But it's a communication sport. We have to be able to communicate with each other in person. We have to practice. Harbaugh continued talking about a possible NFL season in a pandemic world. He said this. I'm pretty sure the huddle is not going to be six feet apart. Are these guys going to shower one one day at a time? One time a day? Are these guys going to lift weights one time a day? All these things the league needs to get a handle on. and needs to get agreed with some common sense so we can operate in a 13-hour day in a training camp that allows us to get our work done. John Harbaugh saying, what the hell? How are we supposed to play football? How are we supposed to play football this way? Spread out, stretched out over the course of a day. It's not possible. And in the NFL, it's it's the league you play hurt. Like if you're if you're banged up, you play. If you got a little bit of flu, of flu blood, you play. I, NFL might be the one sport where, you know, one guy feels a little bit symptomatic, but he's on that roster bubble. He said, screw it, I'm playing. And then it spreads to the rest of the team and the coaches and on and on and on it goes. The NFL, I, I got concerns. And we've, we've been concerned about Major League Baseball for weeks now. I don't need to go on and on about that. But what about college football? I think college sports are going to be the most difficult of all. I think college sports, college football and basketball are going to have a worse time than the NFL and the Major League Baseball. Ohio State put out a memo and, and was in the news late this weekend and earlier today. They're making their players sign a waiver. And we're going to talk about that more coming up before 6 o'clock. Making their players sign a waiver saying, hey, I'm not going to, not going to go to the bars. I'm not going to do this. I understand that I'm taking on risk when I come back to school. I'm going to do everything in my power to prevent the spread of COVID-19. I, and we're going to talk more about college sports. I, I think college sports might have the toughest time of all. Of all of the sports returning in our country, I think it's going to be toughest for college sports. And we're going to talk about that, like I said, coming up later on in the show. But this last weekend, these last couple of days, has, has really cemented in my mind what a delicate situation that American sports currently sit in. It's like, a, like I said, it's like a juggler on a tightrope. Like, yeah, you might be able to... Make it happen, but one tiny little thing goes wrong and it all comes crashing down. It's going to take luck. The NFL, I have no doubt the NFL will put in the best possible plan to return to play. And I think the NBA has put in the best possible plan to return to play. I don't think the NBA could do anything more to protect their players, to keep their players safe, and to make sure basketball is played. And still they might get unlucky. I think the NFL will put a great plan into place. They still might just get unlucky. Even if... These leagues put the best possible plan in and everything goes right. Commissioners are still going to have to cross their fingers. And and that's the reality of of living in a world where we're going through a pandemic. It's just the reality. It's going to take luck. In the last couple of days, I I really took some time to think, you know what? Maybe we won't have a football season. Maybe the NBA won't come back. College sports, are that's going to be a tough, tough sell. I'm not sure. I don't really want to... Focus on the negative. I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to do that this week, especially with what happened, what's happening in baseball. Rob Manfred said, you know what? I'm not exactly sure we're going to have a season 
after a couple days ago saying he was 100% sure. He's going to join the special hosted on ESPN tonight about the return to sports. God, that's going to be much watch TV. I can't miss that. Rob Manford having to go on. They're going to eat him alive. Carl Ravitch went after him last week, and that was after he said 100% chance we have baseball. Man, they're going to go after him. I can't wait. I'm going to make my popcorn. I'm going to sit down and watch it tonight. I cannot wait. Sports coming back. I, I don't think it's as much of a given as we are treating it. And maybe we're in denial. And in sports radio, I think I have to be in denial because the reality of not having sports until after Christmas is just an exhausting one for me. But it's going to take it's going to take the best laid plans. They're going to have to be executed. They're going to have to be disciplined and it's going to take luck. And I don't know if all of the sports leagues in America are going to luck out with the way this virus is is going through our country. When we come back, I want to talk about baseball, but I want to talk about 1998. I want to talk about ESPN's long gone summer. And if you didn't watch the documentary, don't worry. You're not going to feel left out. I watched it. I didn't even think it was that good. But I want to talk about that season. I want to talk about that season and what it meant for baseball because baseball is going to, if they miss the season this year, they're going to need something like that long gone summer to get fans back into it. I want to talk about that year and I want to hear from you. I want to hear from those who are actually around to witness it in 1998. Let's have that conversation coming up next. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show. Sports Show rolls on. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you had a good weekend. It was a much uh, much needed couple of days off. We're talking about baseball, but I'm not going to continue to yell and pound the desk about 2020. The players and the owners both know what it's going to take to get baseball back on the field, and both sides seem pretty unwilling to do what it takes, especially the owners especially the owners. I don't think players and players' agents and the Players Association is without blame in this whole situation, but the owners could make this happen today if they wanted, and they just don't seem to want to at all. My only concern and my only anti-player sentiment, because like I said, the owners could make this happen today. The only thing that I question with the players, and we'll see how it plays out, is I I don't know what the players are trying to accomplish. Like, I'm all for the players taking a stand and sticking to their guns if it accomplishes something, right? Do the, what is the goal that the players currently have? Like, do they think this is going to lead to bigger and better things next year? Because I'm, I'm not convinced it's going to. I am all for the players taking a stand. I'm even okay with them throwing away a season if it helps further the sport and further the players' position. Because we watch the players. We buy the jerseys of the players. I'm all for the players making progress. But I don't, I don't know if throwing away the season is going to help the players' cause. I don't want this to all be for naught, and right now that's that's how I feel. That's my two cents. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I, I just don't. I want to talk about 1998. That happens to be the year I was born. But last night on ESPN, they aired Long Gone Summer. It was a documentary chronicling the battle between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, the home run chase in 1998 that got people back into baseball, or at least a lot of people. I'm sure some of you never left even through the lockout, and I'm sure some of you still don't watch baseball. But I know that's the sentiment of a lot of people. Said I quit baseball after 1994-95, and I got back into it in 1998. That's a lot of people's stories. Now, I'm not usually without opinions, and my opinions are typically pretty strong and pretty obnoxious. But today I want to lean on you, and I want to hear your opinion. And I want your thoughts on either the documentary of ESPN's Long Gone Summer, or maybe you didn't watch, and we can just talk directly about the home run chase in 1998. Like I said, I was born in 98, so I didn't get to experience it. I was alive. I didn't get to experience it. But I know a lot of our listeners were. So if you want to chime in and, and tell me your experience, 
about that home run chase and and really about the fallout from that chase and the steroid era as a whole, hit me up. I'd love to talk. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. Shoot me a text. Give me a call. I'd love to talk about it. I don't want to focus solely on the doc. I want to talk about this year in the home run chase from the big picture. Because if you didn't watch, I I don't want to exclude you from the conversation. I said during the last dance when the Michael Jordan doc was going on, I said I'm not a huge 30 for 30 fan. I love sports, and I just I never got it with the 30-30s. Some of them I like, and I always learn something, but I, I don't really enjoy watching them. The last dance is the outlier. I loved that. I had a smile on my face every episode. But th- this documentary, I had a tough time getting through it. I actually started it this morning, and I didn't finish it until about 4.30. I watched the rest at work while I was typing some notes and doing some other things. I didn't love this documentary. If I didn't feel the need to talk about it on the air, if we had Brewers baseball to talk about, I don't think I would have watched it. I would have watched the Brewers, and we'd be talking about that right now. It felt so disingenuous to me. The way that these two guys were celebrated and lauded, and the whole doc, it was like the... the Man, these guys were amazing. They were larger than life. They were mythic figures. They captured America's hearts and they took us by storm. And like, yeah, that might all be true. But the way it was presented, it felt so disingenuous, especially after everyone wanted to bury Lance Armstrong weeks ago. Like, it felt so disingenuous to me. We're going to bury Lance Armstrong for using steroids in an era where everyone used steroids. And we're going to elevate and lift up Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire in an era where Everybody also used steroids. It's the same story to me. And I don't know why we react so differently. People buried Lance Armstrong two weeks ago, and then we're going to turn around and celebrate two guys who really, let's be honest here, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa weren't at the same level relative to the rest of their sport that Lance Armstrong was to his. Lance Armstrong was the best cyclist in the world. Now, I know Sammy Sosa won MVP in 1998, but the Cubs barely made the wild card. And the Cardinals missed the playoffs. Lance Armstrong was the best in the world at what he did. Yeah, he used steroids, but everybody used steroids. Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire used steroids, and they were, like, you talk about the all-time greats, even from that era. We, we typically don't talk about Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. They were great at hitting home runs that year, and Mark McGuire was always a great home run hitter, don't get me wrong, but it, it felt so disingenuous to me because I think we pick and choose who we hate on for using steroids, and we pick and choose who we just ignore it with. Like, there were so many moments in the first 15 minutes of the documentary where I just, I, I just wanted to cast it off. I wanted to disregard it. Like, I wrote down some of these statements. Tony La Russa was, was mentioned a lot, which it was kind of cool because I, I'd kind of forgotten about Tony La Russa. Growing up as a Brewers fan the last 20 years, he's a face you saw a lot, and it almost hasn't felt the same the last couple of years. So it was actually, as much as I hate the Cardinals, as a rival of the Brewers, I don't personally hate the Cardinals, but as a rival of the Brewers... You know, Tony La Russa is a dude you just love to hate on growing up, but it was interesting to hear him speak because I always respected Tony La Russa as a baseball manager, and I think most people did at the time. He had this quote early on. He's like, Mark McGuire, he had muscles in his forearms and in his back that you just you just didn't see on other people. And I'm sitting there watching him like, well, yeah, he was on steroids. I hope his muscles were big. Come on. Like, why, like, why does that statement hold any water? He had muscles in his forearms and his back. You just didn't see on other people. McGuire was built like a... Like a brick milk house. It's like, well, obviously he was juicing. Like, how how did the editors of this doc put that in there with a straight face? I wrote down a couple of these quotes. Mark McGuire said, well, in order to break the record, I knew I had to average 10 home runs a month. I was like, well, yeah, that would be really hard to do. It would be really, really hard to do if you weren't on steroids. Like, every statement, every quote, 
that was made in this doc, I just, I just circled back. I was like, well, yeah, steroids. Everything felt disingenuous. Jim Riggleman, was, he was ranting about Mark McGuire's power early on in the doc. And he said, man, the, the ball jumped off his bat like any other hitter I've ever seen. And I'm sitting there going, uh, yeah, that steroids will do that. And I'm just, I'm kind of sitting there, like, scratching my head. I was like, is no one going to bring this up? The documentary was, I think, an hour and 40 minutes long, and they hit steroids for the last 10. Kind of felt like they just had to hit it. Just like, all right, fine, we'll talk about the steroids now. And they made it as much about, you know, Jason Giambi and and other players around the league as they made it about Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. The ball really jumped off the bat. Well, yeah, I should hope so. Otherwise, the, the HGH... Testosterone, build the creatine. It's just not working if the ball doesn't jump off the bat. Come on. Kerry Wood, who was the, the young stud pitcher for the Cubs at the time, and when that season started in 98, a couple of the sports writers and who, who covered the Cubs said, I mean, we thought he was going to be the bright spot. It turned out to be Sammy Sosa. But Kerry Wood said it was unbelievable to watch at times. It was it was something like I had never seen. And I was like, yeah, steroids, steroids will do that to a player. <laughs> like, I couldn't, I could not take any part of this documentary seriously. And maybe that's because I wasn't, like able to enjoy the 1998 season in the moment, which is why I'd also love to hear from from baseball fans today who were able to enjoy that season because I'm sure you feel differently. But everything that was said, I was like, well, yeah, steroids. It just felt so disingenuous to me. There were a few moments that I really enjoyed, and they were the small little details, little details in the doc. And, and these are the things, the little stories and anecdotes that made me wish that I was around to experience this season. Like the batting practice that Mark McGuire would do. They showed footage in this doc of fans just sprinting through the gates two hours before first pitch. Coming through the turnstiles and sprinting. Sprinting for the seats. Because thousands of people stacked up to watch Mark McGuire take batting practice. And what blew mind blew my mind is SportsCenter would do live cut-ins. They're like, well, we now go to Bush Stadium because Mark McGuire is about to take BP. Which blew my mind. I can't imagine in the year 2020 right now, baseball being in that state, baseball commanding that much attention to where SportsCenter, the premier sports program on television, is doing live cut-ins to watch a, a player take batting practice. That blew my mind. That was pretty cool. There was also, there was also a story they told, and it was it was probably spent probably five minutes on the dock. Uh, about August 29th in 1998, when Mark McGuire was ejected in the first inning for arguing balls and strikes. And if you watch the, the footage and you read about it, Sam Holbrook didn't want to throw Mark McGuire out. He gave him three chances, and he threw out Tony LaRusa first, and Mark McGuire just wouldn't quit. There were 47,600 fans in attendance for that game for a Cardinals, fan, or Cardinals team that was not chasing a playoff berth. The Cardinals finished that season four games over 500. They went 83-79. and 79. But the game was sold out because people wanted to watch Mark McGuire. And Sam Holbrook threw him out in the first inning. And I thought the fans were going to riot. They were throwing stuff onto the field. Bottles and cans and and wrappers. Boxes of popcorn. Like, the place is going wild. And I can't imagine that in the year 2020. Just like I can't imagine thousands of fans watching BP. I can't imagine what that would have been like. What the state of baseball would have had to been like to command that much attention and that much passion. So there were little tidbits here and there that I enjoyed, but like by and large, most statements that were made, I'm just like, yeah, steroids. And I, and I discounted it because it was so disingenuous. I I didn't enjoy the doc at all. When we come back, I I would love to hear from you. Once again, the number 608-796-2558. Shoot me a text. 
And share with me your experience of that season in 1998 and the steroid era of baseball. Because everybody says it was a blast, and I believe it. A lot of people used those seasons as a reason to get back into baseball. And that's something that can't be devalued. It's something that can't be forgotten. But I think we really we're, we really use a lot of double standards when it comes to steroids and sports. We really like to pick and choose who we blame and who we hate on for using steroids. And then there's situations where we just completely ignore it. And I today looked at a lot of history of players in, in multiple sports leagues and multiple sports that have gotten tied up in steroids, and there's some fascinating double standards. We'll talk about that. I'd love to hear from you coming up next. The Wisco Sports Show. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. I I don't get excited to watch live TV unless it's sports. It feels like an obligation. I think that's why I can't get into The Bachelor. I I can't get into, like, I don't feel, I don't like having to feel that I have to sit down and watch something at a specific time. And I guess that just shows where we're at in 2020. But I am so excited tonight. 8 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN. Uh, They're going to be sitting down with, I believe if I'm reading it correctly, Manfred Silver and Goodell. And they're going to talk about bringing back sports. They're basically going to do a roundtable discussion. And I hope, I hope that we're going to see what we saw last week. And that is anchors just going after Rob Manfred point blank, essentially saying, hey, uh, dude, you could make a season happen. Why the hell don't you do it? That's what Carl Ravage did on SportsCenter. We talked about that on Friday. I, I think it's going to be must see TV tonight. And I'm very, very excited. I hope it's not some lame, ask all the politically correct questions. I think Goodell and Silver might get that treatment. I don't know if if that's going to be extended to Rob Manford. I, I wouldn't bet money on it. I'm so excited uh, to watch that tonight. We're talking about the 1998 season. ESPN just did a doc on it. It was aired last night, long gone summer between Sosa and McGuire. If you're wondering how to spend an hour and 44 minutes of your time, I, I wouldn't waste it on the doc. I didn't think it was that good. It was fine. It was something to watch. But I don't think we're looking for something to watch right now. We have a lot of options. Like, I I know we all like to complain that we don't have sports and there's nothing on. We have a lot of options between all the platforms that we subscribe to and the great podcasts that you can find at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app. Like, I I don't think we're starved for content right now. We have our pick of the litter, and I don't don't really think that doc was, was anything that great. It was fine. I don't really want to talk about the doc. I want to talk about that season, the season of 98, the steroids in baseball and in other sports as well. I think many people accept steroid use in baseball in the 90s because the memories are great. And we look back at that time period very, very fondly. And we do that with things outside of sports, too. I think we do the same thing with relationships, right? You break up with someone and a year later, you haven't found somebody else. You're lonely and you're like, well, we could try that again, right? We had some great times, right? There was a spark. Look, we argued a lot. And yeah, she might have thrown a, a hairbrush in my head. But man, you we had chemistry. You can't deny it. And you get back together and obviously it goes terribly. That's how... That's normally how second attempts at a relationship go. We do the same thing with relationships. We do it with drinking. Are you kidding me? Here in Wisconsin, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You go out on Friday night and you get you way overdo it and you feel sick all of Saturday and even into Sunday and you're like, I'm never drinking again. And then six days later, like, hey, you want to hit the bar? You want to head down to Third Street? Right, we do because we, we black out the bad stuff. We remember the good stuff. I do it with old video games. I love to break out the GameCube. Or the N64. It's like, yeah, I remember these games. God, they were fun. And then I I start to play them. And I'm like, you know what? There's a reason that I own a PlayStation 4. And I don't play the GameCube every day. But we remember the good stuff. 
We block out the bad. We forget about the bad. And I think we do the same thing with baseball in the 90s. We remember the way that the home run chase made us feel. Right? Maya Angelou has a quote. People will forget what you do, what you say, but they will never forget the way that you make them feel. Right? And I don't think people forget the way that Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire captured the excitement and the imagination, really, of baseball fans in the late 90s after baseball fans had given up on their sport after the lockout in 94. And we don't forget about that. But we do like to forget about the steroid use. And I'm confused about how we're supposed to treat steroid users in American sports. Now, I've only been around for 20 years, so I only have a limited sample size to work with. But we hate some people. We don't care about others. I'm trying to figure out what the rhyme and the reason is to steroid use in American sports. I tried to do the math, and I think I've come up with an equation. The do's and the don'ts, the yeses and the no's of steroid use in our sports. There are exceptions. There are times where we're okay with it. And I think I've limited the exceptions to a couple categories. I think I boiled it down. So here, here we go. We are okay with steroid use if you are saving baseball, right? We extended that privilege to Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Barry Bonds, to some extent. Jose Canseco, players of that era. Because we needed a reason to get excited about baseball. Okay, they were juicing, whatever. It was fun to watch, finally. And we got interested in our national pastime again. Now, Sammy Sosa never tested positive, never admitted to it, and he didn't admit in the dock, but come on. Barry Bonds, you kidding me? A man looked like an ogre, right? He was huge, as was Mark McGuire. But at the time, they were saving baseball. They captured our hearts and our imaginations, so we're okay with it. That's one reason that we excuse steroid use. Number two, we're okay with steroid use if you are a New York Yankee. Alex Rodriguez. You remember when Alex Rodriguez... Uh, was stung in the same, was it the biogenesis scandal with Ryan Braun? You know that Alex Rodriguez and Ryan Braun were caught for the same thing? Alex Rodriguez is an American hero. Like, we worship him. We love him. He's dating J-Lo. And he's got a podcast with Barstool. And God, is he handsome. Wow, does he have life figured out? Meanwhile, Ryan Braun gets booed everywhere. And people hate him. But hey, A-Rod wore the pinstripes. So we're fine with it. Jason Giambi, the same. Roger Clemens, exactly. Andy Pettit, Robinson Cano. Even though he was on to Seattle at the time, we remember Robinson Cano as a Yankee. If you're a Yankee, we're cool with it. We might not be at first. We might be mad at you at first, but we get past it very quickly. Alex Rodriguez is the best example. We're okay with steroids if you wear the pinstripes and you play in the Bronx. We're also okay with, and this is a more specific one, we're also okay with steroids if your name is Julian Edelman, who his legacy is completely indestructible completely indestructible, right? No matter what legal issues he's had, right? Having kids and then denying that there is kids and then having vandalism charges when you're drunk. No, we don't care. It's it's Julian Edelman, right? Remember we played quarterback at Kent State? God, what a find by the Patriots. We love Julian Edelman. We don't seem to remember or we choose not to remember that he was tested positive and caught for steroids, suspended, and then later that year won an MVP in the Super Bowl. And nobody cared. Actually, one person cared. I read a column today. I went back and I and I was reading old newspaper articles from, that would have been 2017, 2018. Uh, there was one columnist from Atlanta who said that, who said Julian Edelman shouldn't have even been playing in the Super Bowl. So he didn't forget, but there might have been a slight conflict of interest there. We're okay with it if you're Julian Edelman because Julian Edelman is a Hall of Fame wide receiver. Unless, of course, we're trying to give excuses why Tom Brady is no longer good, then we say that Julian Edelman sucks. Nonetheless, if you're Julian Edelman, we're okay with it. We're also okay with it, seemingly, if you don't admit to it, 
Like, there are players who never tested positive and never admitted to it. We know they were doing it. Like, Sammy Sosa was juicing. But he never tested positive, never admitted, so we're kind of okay with it. Peyton Manning is another example. Remember when Peyton Manning was caught in that HGH scandal with Al Jazeera? Now, I'm not saying Peyton Manning was guilty, but, like, we we looked for every reason to carry Peyton Manning's water for him in that scenario. Like I said, he never tested positive, so I, I'm not insinuating that he was a cheater, that he used steroids, but the reaction by the American public and NFL fandom and his teammates were like, are you kidding me, Peyton Manning? Absolutely not. So Peyton Manning is another example. Like, I think you reach a certain stature where you're afforded the benefit of the doubt, and maybe Peyton Manning was was juicing, maybe not. I'd, I'd like to think he wasn't. I hope that he wasn't. But we certainly were looking for every reason in the book to, to prove his innocence. So that's my math. That's the way I see it. If you're saving baseball, if you're a Yankee, if you're Julian Edelman, or you just don't admit to it, we're okay with it. And we get past it. We're not okay with steroid use if your name is Ryan Braun or your name is Lance Armstrong. That's what it boils down to. I Look, I follow cycling, and I know more about cycling probably than the average bear. The last couple of years through college, I lived with... Two of my closest friends who are super into biking. They do mountain biking races. They do road biking races. They got me into the Tour de France. They taught me everything there is to know about it. And we had a lot of conversations. I did a lot of research about Lance Armstrong. I've read books now. And and if there was ever a reason for someone to cheat, damn it, Lance Armstrong had that reason. And then on top of that, he helps millions of people and raises millions of dollars when it comes to cancer and Livestrong. And we still hate him? I, I don't understand. I don't understand. But we hate Lance Armstrong, and we hate Ryan Braun, which, okay, yeah, maybe I get it a little bit. I'm a Brewer fan, and I will forever, forever love Ryan Braun. But I I get it. But I don't want to hear it from the Cubs if we're going to sit around and celebrate McGuire and Sosa. I don't don't really want to hear the boos next time Ryan Braun is in town. Now, of course, the boos will continue. But it's, it's a little interesting. I threw up a Facebook page. If you follow us on Facebook, WKTY Sports, Let me know. How do you remember that home run chase in 1998? What did that mean to you? Right? How do you remember it now? Because, like, we look back at it as this this golden age, even though everybody was cheating. And I wasn't around to experience it. I was one. Well, I was less than one years old at the time. So I can't really speak to it. I can can speak to it from a distance. Right? I can speak to it with other athletes and other situations. But I wasn't around. So go throw a comment on our Facebook page. I'd I'd love to hear from you guys. And as always, you're welcome on the five-star telecom talking text line. 608-796-2558. When we come back, I want to talk about sports returning, but I want to talk about college sports because that's something we haven't talked about a ton. We talked to Coach McGlenn, who coaches at UWL. He's big into recruiting. He's big into coaching the offensive line and and part of developing that team's offense. But I talked to him a couple of weeks ago about the logistics of bringing back sports. But I don't think we knew the full scope and scale of of. COVID-19 just a couple of weeks ago. We get more information as as the weeks go on. I'm really, really hesitant to think that we're going to have college football this fall, or at least a clean, normal version of college football. I'll tell you why, and we'll talk about that coming up, the final segment of the Wisco Sports Show, coming up next. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Do not forget, as you go about your daily lives, and we're trying to get back to normal as much as possible, 
right? You're going out to eat. You're getting takeout. You're trying to support local business. Big thanks to Twisted Tea, number one, for being delicious, and number two, for making our restaurant rewards program possible. So here's what we're doing. We have eight local restaurants that are participating in this rewards program. And all you got to do is either go out to eat if you're comfortable or get takeout. And when you're there, just ask them for a rewards code. It'll take two seconds. They'll hand it to you. It'll be a little slip of paper. Enter it in on our website and you could win $20 in gift cards or 50 bucks cash. It's so easy. It's so quick. You just got to ask. Buzzard Billy's, Big More Barbecue, Flipside Pub and Grill, Baracho's Mexican Grill, Dublin Square, and David Ray's. I know we're all dying to get back out to eat anyways, whether we're sitting down and eating outside or we're getting takeout. Make it worth your while, right? Ask for a code and get some scratch out of the deal. More details at aroundrivercity.com. So I want to end the show today with talking about college sports, but I want to contextualize it. I want to put it in a frame of reference by uh, first mentioning, did, did you see the COVID stats from La Crosse County Health Department today? Now, I normally see them on Facebook, Wisdom News. Also, our sister station has a great story out, WIZMnews.com, and, and they do great work on Facebook as well. All their stuff's shared there. Shout out to Jen Rambalski, first of all, from La Crosse County Health Department, because I think she's been doing a really good job. It was mentioned today that if you visited five college bars and Pettibone Beach between a certain window, it would have been uh, the weekend before last weekend. So what is that, June 5th through the 7th? Do I have those days right? Yeah, 5th through the 7th. If you visited, there were a couple college bars. Pettibone Beach was one. If you visited, you may have been exposed, right? Students aren't even in town right now. And 20-year-olds are propagating coronavirus, right? They're gathering in their gathering spaces at college bars or at the beach. And that's the driving force between the small uptick in cases we've seen. And like by small, it isn't insignificant, right? We were kind of holding at one, two, maybe three cases a day, maybe. And now that number's routinely between seven to 10, seven to 15. And it's mostly kids in their 20s. I say that to say this. It's going to take luck for Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL to return. College sports, It's going to take a miracle for these sports to return, especially football in the fall. Things might be better by basketball season. I doubt it. But especially football in the fall. It's going to take luck for baseball, football, the NFL, NBA. It's going to take luck for those leagues to return, as we talked about at the beginning of the show. It's going to take a miracle for college sports. And today's COVID numbers in La Crosse County show why. Students aren't even in town, by and large, for the most part right now. And they can't stay out of the bars. Can't stay away from Pettibone Beach. College sports are going to take a miracle to get back into action. Professional sports are made up of professional athletes. It is their one job, their one sole purpose, professionally, to play sports. That is their focus, athletics. College athletes have class. They have a social life. They're living in dorms and in apartments. And class, I know they might not be sitting in lecture halls. I know that Justin Fields, the quarterback for Ohio State, probably isn't going to class traditionally like like I would have when I was in college. But he's going to meet with tutors, right? He has some academics to deal with, which means he's going to be exposed to more people than just his teammates. He has a social life, right? He has friends. That's what college is about, going to the bars, going to get-togethers, going to parties. These players are also living in dorms and in apartments, big places with lots of people. They're all stacked on top of each other. Professional sports, professional athletes... They come in, they work out, and they can go home. There's not as big of a draw and as big of a social pressure to go to the bar, right? To hang out with people in your dorm, to have a social life, to go to class. College, it's all but certain that you at some point as a college athlete are going to be bumping into friends, 
bumping into professors and tutors. There's just more risk involved with college athletics. Now, Jim Harbaugh, and I read the statement to begin the show, was complaining. He said, these guidelines are impossible. We can't do this. He said, I've seen all the memos, and to be honest with you, it's impossible what they're asking us to do. Humanly impossible. So we're going to do what we can do. We're going to have space. We're going to have masks, but it's a communication sport. You got to be able to communicate in person. The huddle, the weight room, the practice field. People are going to be around each other, and that's in professional sports. Take all of those risks and factors into account in college football as well, but then add in a social scene, dorms, academics. Add all of the college factors and the risk factors that only apply to college sports and not the NFL. I'm skeptical that a college football season is going to happen. And if it does happen, I guarantee it will not look normal. And I'm not just talking about fans in the stands. But what if Ohio State is 8-0 and and they're rated number one in the country and they're killing it and they're looking like they're all but certainly destined for a spot in the college football playoff? What if their team has an outbreak halfway through the season? What if Justin Fields goes down? Right? What if they have 10 players test positive and their whole team has to go into lockdown and change the way they're doing things? That's going to derail their season and it's going to derail the integrity of the college football playoff. It could completely ruin things. What if the Pac-12 has an outbreak between multiple teams? What, are we just going to disregard the Pac-12 for the last half of the season? I, I just, Ohio State is a great example as well because they released a statement. They're going to make kids sign a waiver acknowledging risks, not necessarily waiving the university of liability. I don't think that was their sole focus, although that's part of it. And I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not educated enough to speak on the legalities of this. But this Buckeye pledge, which is what they're calling it, allows students to, or, or players rather, to sign and say, I may be exposed. I'm going to sign this pledge, say I'm going to self-quarantine, I'm going to monitor for symptoms, I'm going to stay out of bars, I'm going to practice social distancing, I'm going to wear a mask. And if I don't, it may lead to immediate removal from the team. Won't get rid of the scholarship, but they won't be able to be on the team, won't be able to practice. This is the start, because all teams are going to have to do something like this. I have no clue how they're going to enforce this. How are they going to enforce one player? Let's say the fourth string cornerback on Ohio State goes to a party. He said, eh. I'm young, I'm healthy, my team doesn't need me that much. He gets sick and he infects the team. How are they How are they going to enforce that? I, I just, I don't see it. It's great in theory, and it's a step that all teams are going to have to take, but I, I don't know how practical and I don't know how effective it'll be. College sports, I think, are really going to be up against it, and today's COVID report in La Crosse County shows you why. Because college kids are social. They're in groups. That's what college is about. We'll continue this conversation tomorrow, and God, I hope, oh, I hope we don't have to talk about baseball. My God, I'm going to watch this special tonight on ESPN, which will feature Manfred, Silver, Goodell, all about the return of sports, and I hope they go at Manfred. Because Silver and Goodell have operated in good faith. They're doing all they can to bring their league back. You can't say the same about Manfred, and I don't think they should protect him at all. Go after him, just like Ravage did on Center last week. That's what he deserves. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place, here on the Wisco Sports Show. Can't wait to talk to you then.